many of you know, we're in the midst of a series at the moment called What on Earth Am I Here For? And, uh, and those are some questions, even as the, and the alpha clip, you know, it kind of referenced how we do. We grapple with these questions, the big questions of life. You know, what is the meaning of life? What is my purpose? What is the point of all of this? What contribution do I get to make? And, uh, and for all of us, we're going to have periods of time where those questions are really to the forefront of our thinking and that really challenge us. And we want to do the hard work of actually wrestling with these things. Because as we do that, we find that we establish really solid ground from which to live life from, and it develops resilience in us to be able to weather the seasons when things are not so easy and not so great. It also gives us a sense of identity and purpose, and all of that is found as we do that. So this series gives us the opportunity to explore some of those questions and see what God has to say about them. So last week, Matt uh, started out, and he, his message was, you know, the most important thing. And do, do we, does anyone remember what that most important thing was? Love God. That we're created to love God, to get to know Him, to learn to love Him. That is our most important thing in life. And we call that, in the church and in Scripture, we call that worship. This whole thing of getting to know Him and love Him. The next thing that we do... Anyone, I mean, I could have entitled this message, you know, the next most important thing, or, you know, what comes next. But the next thing that we're made for is to learn to love people. And, uh, and what the Bible calls that is fellowship. And that's not really a word we tend to use in our normal everyday, you know, chat. But uh, it is a word that Scripture uses. So I'm going to reference it a little bit today. So this week is all about learning to love others. Because the thing is, is that God has created us for love, to love, to be loved, uh, out of love. Life is all about love. And, uh, and church is one of those places where we get to come and practice this and get good at it. So, uh, so part of that process is that God has enabled us to come and be part of his family, that we get to be one of his family because of the sacrifice that Jesus makes, that we remember uh, at communion and again over Easter in particular. So um, it's important for us, I think, to try to get our head around the fact that we don't ever graduate from this. It's not like, you know, the beginning stages in following the Lord is to love him and love other people. And then you move on to more important things. Mm-mm-mm. This is the stuff of who we are. This is the most important stuff. This is our constant Loving him and loving people. All right, so we're going to unpack that this morning. Why don't we just pray real quick before we do that? Father God, you are incredibly welcome here with us this morning. You're the reason that we are here this morning. And Lord, I pray that you would come again and that you'd meet each one of us, that you would fill each one of us again with your Holy Spirit that you prepare our hearts and our minds for what you may want to speak to us this morning. And I commit all of this to you, Lord. Lord, whatever it is you want said, Lord, let that be said. And anything that's not helpful, just let it fall off. Be with us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. God hates loneliness. That's why he puts us in families. But we all know that we can still be lonely in family. We can still be lonely in our marriages and in our friendships. So he takes it an extra step and he's created this spiritual family 
that all of us are invited into through Jesus. If we have a look in Ephesians 1 verse 5, God's unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. That's been his plan all along for all of us this invitation to come into his family. Now, everyone is created and loved by God. However, we get to choose to be part of the family of God. That's our choice, which is an incredibly powerful thing. Have you seen some of those um, YouTube clips that pop up sometimes on your Facebook feed or something like that? And um, they're like short video stories of children who have been, you know, they kind of get this moment of being adopted into a family, like their foster parents kind of give them a letter or something that as they read it, they realise they've chosen me and now I've got my forever family. Have you seen some of those? And it's like, you know, grab your tissues, dab, dab. You know, those children, as wonderful as that is, they actually didn't get to choose All the power was with the parents or the family. In our situation, God gives that power to us. He makes this way for us and gives us this invitation, these open arms to climb into, but then he gives us the power to choose as to whether or not we want to be part of this family. Isn't that amazing? I mean, that is profound. He didn't have to do it that way. And so, so for those of us who have decided to say yes to Jesus and to follow him, what we may not have realized is that we get this yes brings us into this family with all these other people throughout history, around the world, on the coast. And this group here, take a look around, what a fine bunch. This is part of our spiritual family. When we said yes to Jesus, he invited us to be hanging out with this lot. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, you should sound more excited about that. I mean, really, we all know how great we all are, right? So we've said yes. We've come into this relationship with God and we enter into these relationships with one another. And now what? Now what do we do? Because uh, we all come from different backgrounds, different parts of the world. We're at different stages of life. We're at, you know, like, all, there's, not, there's a lot that we're different but there's some things that unify us, and we've got to figure out how we live this thing out. And uh, Paul writes to a young uh, church leader in 1 Tim- Timothy, his name is Timothy, and he tells him, I'm writing so you'll know how to live in the family of God. And that family is the church of the living God. Now, he's not talking about a building. He's talking about a people. We are the church. That's who he's talking about. So there are instructions for us on how we actually figure out how to live this. How do we learn to love one another? Because as much as we love our natural and physical families, they don't last, do they? We lose people. People die. Our kids grow up and then they leave. Rats. But it's as it's meant to be, but they leave and they go and start their own families and it goes on. And, you know, that's the best case scenario. There are all sorts of other reasons why family doesn't last. And so God's given us this spiritual family and as much as we can be challenging for one another, my lovely people, we are together for eternity. We're going to be getting to hang out for a really long time. So we should figure out how to do this well. 
So what is our spiritual family going to be known for? Like in our nuclear families, you know, we've got the Lily family, we've got the Waymers, we've got the Youngs, you know, like we've kind of got this last name that kind of defines this is who we are. And we probably have some shared physical characteristics as well and quirks. But as our spiritual family, what is it that we're known for? What's our defining feature? And Jesus tells us this is what he would love for us to be doing. And he's speaking to his disciples here in the uh, Gospel of John. I'm giving you a new commandment, love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for each other is going to prove to the world that you're my disciples. This is our defining characteristic. This is how we're going to know that we're family. You know, in the early church, oftentimes, you know, we can hark back to the wonderful days of the early church, and it was not an easy time, actually. But one of the things that was really distinctive about the early church was their love for one another. You know, there was a, an enormous plague that swept through the Roman Empire and the, and the whole of the ancient world, really, in the third century. And the Romans took note of the fact that it was the Christians that cared for the sick, because they were even casting out, the Romans were casting out their own family members because they, it was such a, a lethal plague that they were just, anyone that got sick, they put out onto the streets and abandoned them because they were so afraid of dying themselves. The only people that went and honoured those sick people and cared for them were the Christians. They chose to put themselves at risk and some of them did get sick and die. But it was they cared and loved so much, and, um, and that was the thing that kind of united them, and that's what people noticed. And there's an, uh, a Christian author who wrote in about 155 to 240 AD called Tertullian, and he reported that Romans would exclaim, see how they love each other. They did it so well that it was like breathtaking, noteworthy. Oh, that we would be like that. So one of our family responsibilities then, guys, is that we learn to love each other, to love God's family. And how do you know if you're in God's family? If you're not sure, you're going to be increasingly able to love the rest of the family. It's a good way to sort of unpack it. So today, we're going to explore four levels of love, okay? Um, where we want to move our relationships, because they all start at sort of a fairly superficial surface level, don't they? But we don't want to stay there, and we're invited to go beyond there. Scripture would invite us to go beyond there in our relationships with one another. And so we're going to look at four levels of love that move us from superficial, surface-type relationships to significant, meaningful, intimate, and fulfilling friendships with one another. So our first level of friendship of fellowship. I'm going to use the Bible word because it's quite cool and we don't usually use it. So it's the fellowship of sharing together. So if we want to become really brilliant lovers, just like the early church was, what were some of the things that they did? Well, one of the things that they did was that they spent time, they shared time with each other. We read in Acts 2.44, all of the believers met together constantly, constantly, and they shared everything with each other. They made it a habit to spend time together. You know, again, in Hebrews 10.25, let us not give up the habit of meeting together. Instead, let us encourage one another because they recognize that we sort of slide. 
any meaningful relationship that we have with one another is going to require face-to-face time, isn't it? We know this. Even in our culture, where we have this added dynamic of, you know, relationships that begin sometimes in online. You know, we were just at our family wedding yesterday, and uh, it was cause for great celebration. Um, our cousin had lived with us for a wee while, and she'd been waiting and waiting and waiting for this man of her dreams until into her 30s, which she got a bit frustrated about, I have to say, at times. Um, and so she went on an internet uh, dating site out of sheer desperation because her friends were like, well, what have you got to lose? You know, Well, she met and has now married uh, the man that she met through that. But at some point... They had to go beyond texts and messages and online conversation and actually meet each other face to face and spend time and get to know each other and develop conversation, real conversation, where you can see the other person's face. We need to do that. You know, they just aren't going to happen. We need to choose to spend time with each other. We need to choose time to share our stories with each other. You know, I just had lunch with a couple of wonderful young women in our church last Sunday, and I just asked them to tell us their story. Where are you from? How did you come to know Jesus? You know, what was that like? Tell us about that. Because I want to know them. I want to build a friendship with them and them with each other. You know, we want to share our stuff. We want to share our meals together. We want to share our conversation, and not just gentlemen and ladies who are fans of the rugby not just the latest score, okay? We are always going to talk about the stuff we love, like rugby and movies and, you know, all of that. But we just want to choose to be intentional to go beyond that because that's a starting point. But if that's all we ever talk about, we are not going to know one another and we are not going to be able to love each other well. And it's not always convenient. You know, in 1 Peter, they're encouraging people, open your homes to each other without complaining. You know, I mean, I'm so guilty of this. You know, when someone, you know, you've organised for someone to come over and then on that day it's like crazy busy and you're rushing around and the house is a mess and we've got people coming. It's that mad, quick, clean up, you know, before people arrive. Uh, and it's inconvenient. And honestly, there are times it's like, ah, it's just easier not. I'd rather not. It's just, you know, I'll stay at home watch the telly. But if that's all we're ever going to do, we're not actually going to have the opportunity to develop these friendships with one another. And can I take a moment just to honour all of our life group leaders? Because each one of these people choose regularly to open their homes to other people, even when they're tired, even when it's been a bad day, even when they're not well, even when the house is a mess, they welcome people into their homes. And that's a choice that they make, and we're incredibly grateful for their investment into people. So thank you and you know who you are. Uh, The interesting thing is, is that the first 300 years of the church, which we've just talked about, as being this really amazing time where love was the thing that everyone noticed about the whole church, they met in people's homes. They didn't do this because they usually didn't have spaces big enough where they could actually gather to do this. Life groups for us are the contemporary version of that, where we create pockets of smaller community, where we get to know and be known where we get to do life with one another, where we learn to love. Because the reality is a lot of us didn't actually learn how to love terribly well in our families of origin. So church and life groups in particular, or some kind of a small group, is the brilliant laboratory 
where we get to actually practice real love, healthy love with boundaries, love that is unconditional. This is where we get to learn it and get to practice it. So a question to ask yourself, not the most comfortable one, but a good one, is do you have any close friendships? Do you have people that know you and that you know really well and that you choose to love each other anyway? Do you have close friendships? If you don't, you're too busy. And, you you know, my strongest encouragement is to rethink how you spend your time and maybe rejig things. If you're too busy for some kind of a small group, whether it's one of the life groups here, but if you're not meeting regularly with a small group of other people who love the Lord and love you, you're too busy. And it impacts our relationships with one another and the opportunities to learn from one another and to spur each other on in our pursuit of Jesus. So if you've tried a group once in your life and you're like, that did not go well. The people were strange. Very odd. And I just hated it. Hated it. Never going to a life group ever again. Well, if we applied that same logic to eating out, I went to a restaurant once. Terrible experience. The food was awful. Service was appalling. I'm never eating out again. Would we do that? No. But we kind of do that sometimes with things like life groups or small groups or things in church that are somewhat inconvenient and a little bit challenging. But they are good for us, guys. It's good for us. We need each other. So my encouragement is just try another one. If you try one and they're a little bit strange and you don't fit in, try another one. One size does not fit all. So you just keep trying until you find one that does fit. Okay? And Alpha next term, we're going to have them happening across a lot of the life groups and some new ones may pop up just for that term. Perfect time to go try on a new group. Just leaving that with you. Okay, another thing that they share or that we can share is our experiences with one another. We're encouraged in 1 Corinthians, when you gather, each one of you be prepared with something useful for all. Sing a song, teach a lesson, tell a story, lead a prayer, provide an insight, take your turn with no one person taking over. And that way, you'll learn from each other. That's the wonderful thing about what can happen in smaller settings and smaller groups. We got a message this last week from one of our young adults who has just moved out of town, and I just thought, oh my goodness, this sums us up fantastically well, so I'm going to use her words. Hey, Fano, I just wanted to pop in and say that I miss you all an extreme amount. As a family, you all are so good at loving. You all love in your own special way. Some of you bake, some of you make tea, some of you do the dishes. Some smile and welcome. Some of you give great hugs. Some give great advice. Some of you ask questions. Some of you pray. Some of you simply sit beside others. Some of you say hello. Some invite newbies to lunch. Some, in, some open your homes. Some of you dream up awesome activities. And some of you make those dreams a reality. And each of you plays a part in the loving of humans. And I'm so grateful I have been loved by you. Even though sometimes it gets hard and you get tired or life bogs you down, know that your love is the Father's love and it reaches the hollow, lonely places in the hearts that you encounter. Isn't that awesome? Yes, 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 yes. 
That is why we share our experiences. So we can learn from each other. So we can extend love. So people can experience love. We get to experience love. So can I encourage you to share what God's given you? Share your experiences with one another. Another thing that, you, um, that we look at as we, are, we have this fellowship of sharing is that we share support. You know, we rejoice with those who rejoice and we mourn with those who mourn. I met a young woman on Friday who I got the opportunity to pray for and she was telling me she's in her her 20s um, and her family at the moment is just falling apart. Her parents are separating and in the process there's just a whole heap of just awful stuff that's coming up and, and is just heartbreaking. And she was talking to me about how on the one hand that's happening to her family on the other hand, how incredibly grateful she was that she had found a church family, one of our vineyard church plants in the city, where she, in her words, has found a place to belong. People who are walking with her through this and are giving her a safe place. That sort of support we're only going to find as we choose to share with one another. So sharing is the place that love starts, but we want to go beyond that. All right, so the level two, we're kind of graduating, moving on, uh, is the fellowship of belonging together. It's like it's the difference between dating and getting married. You know, it's the difference of my cousin yesterday uh, dating this young guy, but at some point they made this decision, we're going to commit ourselves to one another, and yesterday they both said, I do, and so off they go. You know, I share a lot of things with a lot of people. I'm kind of a pretty open person. You know, kind of what you see is what you get. Um, So I share a lot with a lot of people. However, I belong to Matt, and he belongs to me. We made a commitment to one another nearly 27 years ago where we would choose one another. We belong to each other. So there are things where I will only give myself to him out of that choice. And, you know, we've got a couple of families here at at Coast Vineyard who are recent immigrants to New Zealand, and they uh, have chosen uh, to commit themselves to one another and share a house and actually create a family unit with their two families while they're all navigating this landscape of settling here in New Zealand and sort of, you know, that strength in numbers thing and bringing support, sharing themselves with one another. That's, that's a degree of commitment. That's just not just kind of sharing time. It's like sharing a lot, and it's, it takes choice. So the thing is, for us, is we're invited to become belongers, not just believers. Okay? We could make a song out of that. So belonging, it's like it's the difference between attending church and being a member. It's the difference between being a spectator and being a participator. It's where we're right in there in the thick of things with everybody else because we choose to be. You know, in Ephesians 2, it says, you are members of God's very own family and you belong in God's household with every other Christian. Now, for those of us in the room, and I have been one of these people where we suffer from awful low self-esteem, and as you hear that, there's this voice in your head that says, yes, well, that's fine for everybody else. But I am not important enough, or I am not significant enough, or what about all these things that seem to disqualify me? Can I just repeat this for your benefit? This is for you. You belong in God's household with every other Christian. That means that we commit to one another. We look out for one another. We have each other's backs. We speak well of each other. We look after each other when things are tough. 
We extend grace and not judgment to one another. We accept one another in spite of our differences and we recognize that we are on the same team and we're going to play alongside one another. We're going to create rather than critique from the sidelines. It is so much easier to look at a thing and just pull it to bits and kind of criticize. It is much harder to have your skin in the game and actually be creating something. And, you know, look... We know, I know, that the church isn't perfect. This church is not perfect, and it is led by not perfect people. Case in point. Okay? Let's just lower the bar right now. We're not perfect. And so, church, then, by definition, us, people, we're going to be messy. We just are, because we're broken and we're hurt. But Jesus loves the church. He loves us. He loves us being together and in belonging to one another. We're going to commit to bring out the best in who we are and love each other and build and create this beautiful church, this beautiful people, so it can be everything that God has in mind for it to be. And we're going to be defined by love. So that working together for a common purpose takes us to our next level of fellowship. And that is the fellowship of serving together. You know, one of my great joys is getting to work alongside Matt and alongside my kids and my friends for kingdom purposes. I've had the opportunity to do that in multiple parts of the world. And the thing I've found is that as much as I've loved doing the stuff uh, with God, for God, I've gotten to do it with people. And as we've done this stuff together, our hearts have been knitted together. Even in doing this church plant, you know, this time four years ago, we were in our lounge. Actually, we weren't. We were sleeping in. Uh, But we were meeting at four o'clock on Sunday afternoon. Then we were in our lounge. And probably about this time is when I'm running around the house freaking out because the house is a mess. You know, it's that, if I'm really honest. Um, But we we were there. And we had just our family. In fact, our two older girls were very sceptical about whether this thing was actually ever going to fly. So they were not always fully there. Um, but we were there and we had you know, a handful of friends that chose to come start this thing with us uh, that were as crazy as we were. And, but that as we threw ourselves into this thing and we had new friends join us and, and we've built this thing alongside of what God's been doing, mostly running to keep up with what he's been doing. You know, he's added staff, he's added leaders into the mix, he's added just friends, that we've become friends. You know, I was thinking about our staff this week, Rachel came in, we were sort of just finalising some of the details around her new role, and I'm just thinking about the staff team that we have in our office, just the most amazing people, and, and my heart has gotten bigger because as we've gotten to work alongside one another, these people have become family to me. Our hearts have been knitted together. I love them. That's this incredible byproduct of serving together. As God somehow, as we draw near to him, draws us towards one another and knits our hearts together. Scripture's word for that is koinonia. Does that make me sound very smart? Yeah. Uh, It's a Greek word. Of course you knew that. Um, And it means communion. It means joint participation and contribution. And if you look it up on Wikipedia, which of course we all do because that is the true place of all knowledge, um, what they say about koinonia is that it identifies the idealised state of fellowship and unity that should exist within the church. So even they know, even the people that aren't, 
haven't chosen to be part of God's family, they know that this is something that we want to aspire to. This partnering with God, this partnering with one another, and the unity that comes from that and the love that grows out of it. You know, in 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul tells us we are partners working together for God. We are partners. We get to partner with Him. For whatever reason, God has decided to outwork His purposes in the earth through us. He could have done it himself. Probably, possibly, a better job. But he's chosen to do it through us. He invites us into what he's doing. This is amazing. You know, we've got 48 young people, their leaders and youth, piling off to Easter camp next weekend on Thursday night. Please pray for them, just as an aside. Be praying for them. And uh, they're going to be there with over 100 other uh, vineyard youth and thousands of other teenagers. What fun, as I think about my pillow. Um, But while they are there, I will guarantee that some of the stories that happen when they come back, which we'll hear the following weekend, is that their hearts will become knitted together because they're going to share time. They're going to share experiences They're going to have encounters with God with one another. They're going to work alongside one another because they have duties they have to do. Our leaders have to work together to be able to look after and serve our young people. And their hearts are going to become more and more connected as they do it, guaranteed. Stories to tell, guys, when you come back, all right? See if I actually know anything. So look, Coast Vineyard, as kind of broken and as messy as we are, is a great church. And... I think that one of the reasons that it's a great church is because we have this team of people that roll their sleeves up, put their kind of hand in to just get involved and make this happen in conjunction with what God's doing. We don't have anyone that's kind of looking for glory or credit. People that lead here have servant hearts. And so... You know, for us, all of us, there's this opportunity for us to sow into this thing. As we work, this is the bonus, is as we work together, we discover more about ourselves. Oftentimes, uh, as we bring our unique gifts and abilities into play, we discover more about who we are because of what other people see in us that we just didn't even notice. You know, much as we want to know our purpose and who we are, we will never discover those things on our own. Never. We will only discover really who we are by looking to Jesus and seeing it and finding it in community. It's the way he's made it to be. So, you know, you read some of these books that say, you know, you just have to distance yourself and go off to some mountaintop thing and, uh, and figure out your meaning to life and your purpose and who you are. That's not what God's wired us for. He's going to do that out of relationship. We look at Ephesians. The whole body is fitted together perfectly. And as each part does its own special work, it helps the others to grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Did you hear that bit? As each part does its own special work, all of us grow. All of us become more healthy when we do that. For us to be healthy and whole, we all need to serve alongside one another. We need you. We need each other. You know, if God has led you here to this church for this season of your life, it's because you have something that we need. And we will not become the full expression of what he has in mind unless you give it away. 
We are going to be the less if you don't, if you just hold on to it. So can I encourage you, please, would you consider sharing what you have with us in some way? Because we will all be better off if you do. Our last level of love, the fellowship of suffering together. Did you feel the shiver go down your spine as I did that one? Our love grows deepest when we actually journey through our pain with one another. We often don't suffer that well in the West. We tend, uh, particularly in our culture, we tend to want to isolate ourselves because we feel vulnerable when we're struggling with things. We try to put a brave face on things. Have you ever actually not been doing well and then you turn up somewhere, maybe on a Sunday morning, and someone says, hey, how are you doing? Good, thanks. It's all good. Inside, you're falling to pieces, screaming for help. But the facade pops on. It's so tempting to do, and yet all of us suffer. All of us do. It's not something we need to be afraid of. It is going to happen, but we don't have to live in fear of it. You know, we're going to lose people that we love. We're going to have families who fracture. We're going to lose babies to miscarriage. We're going to face cancer and chronic illness. We're going to wrestle with mental illness. We're going to face unemployment and financial pressure. All of these things have happened to people in our family, our church family in the last 12 months. All of those things. And it's not going to stop. Life can be tough. Suffering is just a part of our lives. But the wonderful thing about suffering is that it is humanizing and it can actually unite us if we're willing to share our pain and our grief with each other because it pulls us together. All of us know what heartache feels like. All of us know some of the deep questions that we kind of ponder when it's really dark, but we often don't want to give voice to. Galatians 6 verse 2 tells us, share each other's troubles and problems, and in this way you're going to obey the law of Christ, and that law is love. You know, if one member suffers, all of us suffer. At Coast, we do real. It's one of the things that people tell us they like about being here. We're honest about how we're doing. We don't pretend. And that's super easy to say, that's awesome, when we're feeling awesome. It's like, yeah, real, so good. It's really hard to choose to do that when we're not doing good because it lays us bare and makes us vulnerable before one another. It makes us vulnerable to criticism, misunderstanding, all the things that we fear. But it doesn't have to be. As we choose to be real with each other, we get to actually be there, really be there for each other, which all of us would want, you know, all of us would respond to that opportunity. If we knew someone that we cared about was going through something really tough, wouldn't we want to help? Because that's what love does, always and every time. But often we don't even know that stuff's happening and we don't know how to help. You know, it means that we're going to choose. It means we're going to choose to be honest with each other. We're going to choose to extend grace to each other. We're going to choose to make meals for one another, to carry each other through and look after each other's kids. We're going to choose to stand with people in their darkest days. We're going to listen and not speak. We're going to weep with one another. We're going to choose to be close, to be kin, to be family. 
for one another and we're going to choose to devote ourselves to one another and walk alongside people no matter how long it takes. I was talking to someone just recently who lost their husband a number of years ago and I said, how, how, what is the best way for people to help when those sorts of things happen? She said, just be there. Just be there. You know, she had people that just came and listened, who cried with her, who looked after her and her kids with just practical stuff, meals, helping around the house. Just be there. And we can do that, can't we? Don't we want to do that? So let's then, the next time that we're actually finding something difficult, not withhold the opportunity for our family to do it out of some misplaced, I don't know, pride or something. Be devoted to one another like a loving family. Now, as I think about why it is that we've grown here at Coast Vineyard from the lilies and a few friends four years ago to over 300 people who would call this home now, one of the big reasons, I think, why that's happened is because love lives here. And I think where there's genuine love, you'd have to just about lock the doors to keep people out. People are desperately hungry for love. We are all desperately hungry for love, aren't we? Just oftentimes people look for it in all the wrong places. If we show genuine love, people are going to be drawn to us just the way they were drawn to the early church. People are people are people. We haven't changed. It's the way we're made. So where are you in this process of being in God's family? Are you at the stage of sharing together, building friendships? Have you begun a relationship with God and with his people? Are you one of the family? Have you made that choice? I want to be part of the family. And that might start today. If you're visiting and you're like, actually, I want to start that process with this motley bunch, come along to the newcomer's lunch. Even if you've only just heard about it, just come along. We'll make the food work. Or are you moving on into the part of belonging together, where we commit to one another? And if you're not part of a small group, start to think about becoming part of one. You know, alpha groups, consider that for next term. What about serving together? Partnering with one another? Are we serving somewhere with other people? And suffering together? Kinship. This is where small groups come into their own, is because we get to do life together through all the good stuff, and then when it gets tough, we've got people who know us well, who are going to rally around us. So where are you in the process? I'll leave it with you there, and you can have a wee think and a ponder and chat to people. But why don't we stand and pray? We don't have much time. <clears throat> You know, as, um, as we were doing communion, <clears throat> I was just a reminded again of when I came back to faith. Because uh, I think it's 30 years this Easter that I came back to the Lord after a period of time of not. And God reminded me of this picture that he gave me then that was of the state of my life and how desperate things were. <clears throat> and it was um, this ocean of black, sticky, tar-like stuff. And I had sunk below the surface of it. And I was drowning in it. And desperate, I didn't know any way out. And in this 
vision thing that God gave me as I was sitting on my bed at Easter time, just after coming back from an Easter camp. I just reached out my arm and had this vision of my, me reaching out my arm, pushing through the surface of the stuff, drowning, and him reaching down and just pulling me out. And I just wonder if there's people here today where that's for you. That whether it's your circumstances or your awareness of your sin or your pain is just so overwhelming that you feel like you're drowning in it. Where it's seeping into every part of you and crushing the life out of you. And if that's you, I think God's invitation is he's reaching out to pull you up and into his arms and into the arms of the family that he's put you in. So is there anyone that that kind of feels like that might be you? Because we would love to pray for you. That's cool. Thank you. Anybody else? Can I ask some of the people that are around Clive if you could pray for him up there? Anybody else? I just feel like his invitation is, is if, you, if you just want to be pulled out and into more of him, whatever it is, he's right here. Cool, thank you. Okay, I'll pray. So Lord, hmm, you're pretty cool how you developed this whole thing of family. I thank you for this part of it. I thank you for this expression of people and of all the things that we get to bring and that you get to knit us together and make this wonderful. And God, that we get to invite others in to join us. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts, not just to you, Lord, but to one another. That you would make us a risk-taking, courageous people who choose to reach out to those around us. Lord, that you would show us how to grow in these levels of intimacy and relationship with one another. And that you would mark us and define us by love. I pray that you would grab our hearts and that you would give us the gift of love. Even just right now, even for our kids as they're roaming around in the background, if they come in, that's fine. But Lord, would you just fill our hearts with love for you and love for people. Thank you for meeting with us again this morning. Go with us as we scatter over all of the city, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.